reading is taken from Matthew 2, verse 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you very much, uh, Wang. Shall I say a prayer as we dig in? Father, thank you for this famous old story, true story of these magi bowing before Jesus in wonder and worship and love. Please, by your spirit, make us a people like that this year and even this morning. Show us the beauty, the treasure that is Jesus Christ in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, it is a funny time, isn't it, this week, because you're sort of not yet ready for the new year, you're clearing up from Christmas, it's a sort of middle time of limbo, isn't it? Maybe you've started the decorations come down in your house, the trees, the Christmas cards. I was looking at my Christmas cards, I have a few in the post, mostly emails these days, but a couple in the post, and this was one of them, um, it was two rabbits with a baby. Well, that's a very odd Christmas card. And it's that my friend, she wrote inside, P.S., by the way, that's baby Jesus as a rabbit <laughs> wrapped in litter. That's sweet, isn't it? Uh, Peter Rabbit, eat your heart out. But it's very tempting with Christmas to be sentimental, isn't it? To have a, a baby Jesus as a rabbit. It's a lovely card, homemade. But it's tempting with Christmas to be sentimental. Cute and cuddly baby Jesus. And we pack away the nativity scene and put it in the attic for another year. But what we've just had read to us in Matthew 2, well, it's anything, <coughs> excuse me, but sentimental. It's coming face to face with King Herod the Great, who, if you know anything about history, was anything but great. In fact, it was the first century historian Josephus who said he was King Herod the Wicked. He was someone who, who killed one of his wives three of his own sons because he feared that they were trying to snatch the crown 
from him. This was a king who governed in a sort of police state. It would have been not sentimental and cute and cuddly, but a terrifying, fragile, delicate time to live in the Middle East. And gosh, isn't it fragile there too at the moment? The Guardian reported this week, Christmas was cancelled in Bethlehem this year. That's what the headlines have said. One of them said, Bethlehem is a place of sorrow and silence, the Pope said. Or Tom Holland, the historian in the Times, wrote in this piece, this Christmas, in lands once ruled by Herod, people are mourning their dead and their cries sound loud around the world. This morning, whilst we're comfortable and warm in Israel and in Gaza, people's hearts are breaking like we can't imagine. And they and we need a word, don't they? Don't we? From a king who can speak with love and power into that. It's a, it's a, it's a place of great tectonic movement in the Middle East. It always has been. In fact, those are the words of the BBC correspondent Jeremy Bowen. This is what he says in his new book, The Modern Middle East. He says, in Jerusalem, the tectonic plates of religion and culture, they come together in the city. And when they move, everyone feels it. It's the most contested piece of ground in the world. He's talking about the Temple Mount. Part of the temple built by King Herod is still there. The most contested piece of ground in the world. It's an unsettling place to be, and they need our prayers. Of course they do. And unsettling for them, but actually for us in our own small different ways. The beginning of a new year can be unsettling. The tectonic plates are moving. 2023 is passing. 2024 is coming our way. And for some of us, that's an exciting prospect. We love a new year. I don't know what you're doing tonight. Hope something. Jules Holland on TV, whatever. But there's always something to look forward to in the year. But others of us, there'll be things that knock us back and we're actually unsure about the new year. Maybe that job uncertainty, that family relationship issue, that health concern rearing its head. All sorts of reasons for the tectonic plates to be shifting this evening and in the days to come. And into those shifting plates comes a shepherd king, a shepherd king who you don't box up and package away in the attic for another year, cute and cuddly, and make him out to be a little rabbit. No, this is a king like no other, who, as Narnia's Aslan put it, is a king who's not tame or safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you, said Mr. Beaver. And this is a king who's got a word for each of us this morning. Whether you're looking into the Christian faith for the first time, or you've been part of HTC for years, a word from the king, a word about a promise to remember. <coughs> Excuse me, by the way, my strepsils are over there. But there's a promise to remember. There's a, 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 a conflict to be ready for. And there's a shepherd to rest in. A promise, a conflict, and a shepherd. That's where we're going this morning. Firstly then, a promise to remember. Look how the story starts in verse 1. Just as Jesus was born after the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one born King of the Jews? Magi from the east. Notice it's Magi, it's not kings, and it's certainly not three kings. Sorry to burst that bubble, that's, that, that card's over. <laughs> but these kings were probably, sorry, these Magi... <coughs> Excuse me, were probably um, uh, uh, senior religious civil servants, as it were, from the Persian Empire. They weren't kings, but they were king makers. Oh, look at that. Thanks, Chris. Oh, round of applause for Kieran. Thank you, Kieran. 
I'll try it. Thank you. Oh, thank you very so much. Gosh, never mind gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Strepsil, strepsil, strepsil. <laughs> well, anyway, here they are. They're not king, kings, but they are king makers. And they have heard rumors, as well educated as they would have been, of a star representing someone significant coming into his world. That was a, a prophecy made in numbers centuries beforehand. And they, they'd heard rumors of that. And this star, well, they, they see, and it's probably, records suggest, a conjunction of Saturn and uh, um, Jupiter coming together, and they follow it. But the, the key thing for us to know is that they're from the east. They are from the east. That is, they're non-Jews. They're Gentiles. They're beyond Iraq and Iran, from the Persian Empire, way beyond the Roman Empire, in the backwaters, in the back and beyond, no, beyond the pale, probably involved in their eastern spirituality and yet they're drawn to Jerusalem but spiritually speaking if you like they are miles away naturally speaking from Jerusalem because back then in the first century BC Jerusalem for years had represented the symbolic home of God where God dwelt and where sacrifices were made that was where you'd go to be close to God to Jerusalem temple and here they are miles away light years away might as well be on another planet they are from out east it's like King Charles in Buckingham Palace and they're well in Timbuktu a different planet and so spiritually speaking they they're off the radar they're off the grid beyond the pale and actually spiritually speaking naturally speaking you and I left to ourselves we are way out east too without God's gracious drawing us to himself. Because the Bible starts in Genesis 1 and 2 with God making his home with Adam and Eve. They're at home in their own skin and with one another in the world God's made and ultimately with the God who made them, Father, Son and Spirit. They were at home there and yet that wasn't enough. They clutched for the crown as they reached for the fruit. They're actually clinging onto a crown, God's crown. And in response, in merciful judgment, God expels them. How? By east, out of the Eden. It's significant. East, out of the Eden, they go. And God gets a sword and he keeps them from the tree of life. They're banished and left wandering. As Genesis goes on, you see them wandering and wandering further and further east. Symbolic of drifting from the God who loves them and made them. And yet they won't let go of the crown. And naturally, we're all like that. A long way east of Eden, as Steinbeck put it. Wanting to be home and yet running from home. It's what J.R. Tolkien said. We're soaked with a sense of exile. We long for Eden, he said. And all of us long, if we're honest, for a home like that where you're, you're safe, you're known, and you're loved. And some of us, for Christmas, for some reason, all sorts of reasons, that's been elusive. And we long for a home like that. And above all, a home where you're safe with the Lord who's made us. But there they are, way out of Eden, east, longing for home. And it is into that longing that the king speaks, that the promise comes, but like bubbles springing up from nowhere. It, just a few chapters after Eden, Genesis 12, God makes this promise undeserved from the depths of his heart. He says to Abraham, look, through you all peoples 
on earth will be blessed. That is a king, a Messiah, a Christ will come through whom all nations will be drawn again to me. And that's the unfolding narrative of the Bible, like a a river twisting and turning, winding and wending its way. Sometimes it's lavish spring, other times it goes under the surface and you you can't see it, you can't hear its, it's, um, uh, you can't see its glistening or hear its um, trickle but it's still flowing. And sometimes the river of that promise bursts suddenly, like in Isaiah 60, we're told, kings will come from the nations. Or ultimately in Jesus Christ, it's as if the the rivers are open wide, like the Victoria Falls of the river Zambezi. Suddenly in that coming, the, the rivers open wide to all nations. And that river from Christ's first coming has been flowing and flowing and getting wider and wider such that it's reached, well down through the ages and across the world, you and me in Clapham in 2023-24. It's come to us. This is the promise of God. And that is what these magi represent. The breadth of God's promise that all nations we bless through him, through this little baby. Such is the, the breadth of the grace of God. And it's a promise that will go wider and wider and wider like the river into the Indian Ocean, that delta picture because the Bible ends in Revelation 7 with a picture where all, every, uh, every, there'll be a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people and tongue standing before the throne. That's the great Bible story that sweeps you and I by faith in it, up with it in its flow. The great promise of God. Perhaps you saw, um, uh, in fact, along with the most popular programs this week have been the King's Speech and that documentary about the king on Boxing Day. Did you see that with your mince pies and mulled wine on Boxing Day? It's a fascinating documentary. But there King Charles was sending out invites to his coronation last May. And here's a little picture of an invite. I know one or two of us were there. You weren't here, I can't see you today. But one or two of us got an invite like this in the post, an invitation from the king, demanding, commanding the company of a guest. And those invites went far and wide from Buckingham Palace, not just east out to the end of the central line, to the borders of Essex, and not just out to the eastern European regions, and not just to the farthest reach of the British Commonwealth. No, no. This invite goes far and wide to the very corners of the world. And on that documentary, you saw the glee on people's faces of being amongst those 2,000 people, sitting at Westminster Abbey, a, a valued member, a guest of the king. They couldn't believe their luck to be such a valued guest. And that is nothing in comparison to the great invitation from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that comes to you and me. Those of us who are way out east, beyond the pale, the postman comes, this is for you, you're invited. All nations is where this invite goes. It is far greater than we'd imagine. That's what these magi represent. That's what this Ethiopian theologian puts. (coughs) Excuse me. This is how she puts it. She says, the coming of the magi is an affirmation that God is, well, he's the God not just of Israel, but the God of all. Jesus is from Israel, but for the world. A beautiful picture. And of course, here at Clapham, we have such a wonderful history of that. 250 years ago, the Clapham sect, sending out people across the corners of the world with a message of this invitation, this promise 
that this is good news for all nations. Wouldn't it be wonderful if today the Lord continues to send out people from here, whether that's Mozambique or Mitcham, whether that's 10 Downing Street or down your little street, Jesus Christ is like a magnet drawing people to himself from all corners of the world, your corner and my corner. And so can I say, particularly if you're just looking into the Christian faith this morning, and come to perhaps, perhaps to one of our carol services, and you're wondering, is this, is this for me? Is this my sort of thing? Am I off the radar? Jesus, in all his love, would say, no, of course you're not off my radar. There's no one beyond my radar. Please come on home, he says. And he holds out the invitation. And it might be you want to come to Alpha and find out more about this promise, this invitation from the King of Kings. Others of us, well, we've been churchgoers, Christians for years, and there's people we would love to be Christians, become Christians, followers of the King. And if we're honest, though, we've, well, we've given up praying. We think, yeah, too far east, <laughs> way off the central line. They're not even on the tube line. I'm not going to bother. That can easily seep in. And the Magi remind us, there's no one too far gone. The, the corners of the globe, the, the dark corners of London, are his speciality. People way out east. So I wonder, are there three wise men, three Magi, men or women, boys or girls, who are the three you could pray for this new year, even today, Put them in your head now. Three people you think I would love the Lord to call to himself this year. And why not pray for those three people every week this coming year? Because the Lord is one who loves people from all sorts of walks of life. And the invitation goes to everybody. It'd be a great thing to do, wouldn't it? Three wise men, three people to pray for. I think of a friend I was talking to this week, actually, who's, who's big into um, Eastern spirituality, like these Magi, into Buddhism, loves his meditation. And um, uh, he said to me, can I be a Christian Buddhist? <laughs> I thought, hmm, good question. I'll, I'll have to go on Alpha and find out, I thought. But I, 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 he, the thing is interesting about my friend is he's intrigued by Jesus. He finds him compelling. Uh, but the church is less a fan, less a fan of but it is Jesus he finds captivating. That's why he wants to be a Christian Buddhist. And maybe for him, 2024 will be a year where actually the king calls him, like these wise men, to lay before him everything and every other worldview and religion at his feet. That's the promise. The promise for all nations that comes to you and I. But can I just say before we move on, quickly from this promise point, is some of us can relate to that picture where the promises of God, it feels not like a great Niagara Falls, but it feels barely a trickle. And we look back at 2023, some of us, and we think, gosh, where has God been? It's been barren. I, I've, not, I've not had my thirst quenched. I, I've not seen the rivers of his promise. I've not seen them glisten. I've not heard them trickle. Where, where's he been? Perhaps that's you this evening, this morning. Well, if that is you, you're in good company because this promise and all the promises of God like we see in the Old Testament take a long time to come through because in Micah, the one that 
is referred to in Matthew 2. We read that the Bethlehem, out of you, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. That promise was made by Micah 400 years before Christ began to fulfill it. 400 years of waiting and waiting and waiting. Not a sight of a trickle, not a glimmer of a river to see. And yet it was still flowing, that promise, underground. And some of us need to take heart from that. We get annoyed at a four-minute wait at the tube, don't we? But this is 400 years of silence. And some of us know the pain and the loneliness of that silence from God. Well, this is a promise for you to cling into, that however barren the land might feel, the spring is still flowing. And one day, surely, we'll taste it again. That's a promise to lean into. Or rather, the God of promises to lean into and to remember this new year. That's the first and big point this morning, the promise of God. <coughs> but secondly, this is where we get onto um, tricky business because it's not just glorious promises, it's gory conflict. There's a conflict to be ready for because look what happens with the Magi. Verse two, you're being, where's the one who's been born of the Jews? And Herod's sitting in his throne and he hears that. He think, hold on, hold on. That's me. I'm the king of the Jews. That was the title that the Romans had bestowed upon him in 37 BC. I'm the king of the Jews. He's there, hold on, hold on, hold on. And he's, the, he's, a, he's a vassal, he's a puppet king of the Romans, really. And yet he was a conflicted, complicated man. Nominally, he was a Jew, ethnically an Arab. Politically, he was Roman, yet culturally, he was a Greek. He was all over the place. And that comes with it, torn loyalties, stretched, being torn, different directions. And he was a wealthy man, powerful, wealthy. Ten wives, I think he had. Money, sex and power, those old idols don't go away today. And yet Jesus comes along and he is a threat to Herod. Look how Herod responds, verse three. When he heard this, he was disturbed. That's probably an understatement. As Shakespeare put it, uneasy is the head that wears the crown. He was constantly looking at his back. Who's, who's going to get me? He had his family slaughtered because of the risk they posed, as I said, to his crown. And whereas the Magi, as it were, lay their crowns before Christ, this King Herod, he clings to it and he will not let go he holds on to it. He will do whatever it takes to hold on to his crown. And so verse 7, he schemes secretly to find out where this child is. And then verse 16, as we read on in our passage, ultimately he orders the massacre of the innocents. He, he will not let go. He will be king of his own kingdom. There's no place for Christ in his kingdom. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, the 1940s um, playwright, put it fascinatingly in this piece of radio drama. Over 12 plays, she plotted the life of Christ. And in the first play, fascinating listening, I recommend it on YouTube, Herod asks, tell me, will he be a warrior king? To which a wise man says, 
the greatest of warriors, yes, but he shall be called the Prince of Peace. He'll be a victor and victim in all his wars. He will make his triumph in defeat. And when wars are over, he will rule his people in love. To which Herod says, you cannot rule men by love. I've been a stern ruler, despised and hated. Yet my country is prosperous. Love is a traitor. It's betrayed me. It betrays all kings. Give that message to your Christ. Do you see the disdain in Herod in that drama? He will not have Christ as a king and he spits him out. And like a tectonic plate that Bowen mentions, there's a clash going on. King Herod and King Jesus and something's got to give and Herod is insistent it will not be him. It's got to be Jesus. Tectonic plates. And that has come down to us 2,000 years on. So often in our culture, there are culture clashes, tectonic plates, clashing between what culture crowns and what Christ crowns. Lots in our culture Jesus will affirm and celebrate, of course, but there'll also be lots of things that he doesn't affirm. And sooner or later, those tectonic plates will hit against each other. No doubt you've seen that in, in your life, in your workplace, in London life this last year. Culture and Christ again and again. It could be, I don't know, it could be that uh, cultural preference we have for boosting up your nice nest egg and your savings and getting a nice comfortable life going for you. In contrast, Jesus says, well, hold on, maybe, but I'm calling you to radical generosity. Or it could be in a world of cancel culture, Jesus says, forgive and love your enemies. In a world that says, I'm going to be independent and self-sufficient, I'll do what I want, thanks, whatever, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Into that, Jesus says, no, hold on, I call you to costly, sacrificial, committed community in the church family. In a culture that says sexual freedom is the bee's knees, Jesus says, no, sexual purity is the way, in the way I've ordained it in my words. That conflict, clash, Herod and Christ is alive and well today. And it's not just out there in the world. It's in the church. Any church, any denomination has its rivals, its idols, its crowns. What is frightening about this? It is the religious leaders who are quoting chapter and verse as to where Christ will be born. Oh yeah, he'll be born here. They know it like the back of their hands, but they will not bow the knee. And they are the church leaders of the day. That is frightening for a, a curate or a bishop. We can have idols and cover that and all sorts of spiritual glitter. But of course, the tectonic plates of this clash happen not in Jerusalem, as Bowen says, but the most contested place on earth is your heart and my heart. Who's going to be king? Every day is another battle. In 101 ways each day, is it going to be my way or his way? That is normal, spirit-filled New Testament Christianity, a sense of conflict. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul puts it as in Galatians 5. He says this, the flesh, that is the sinful nature, it desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're, <coughs> excuse me. They're in conflict with each other, so you don't do what you want. So tomorrow, as we welcome 2024... Lots will have changed, but lots will stay the same. And another thing that stays the same is that it will be another day to put on the old warfare, uh, the, the old battle armour. Another day to fight the sinful desires 
that rage in my heart and yours. I wonder how good we are at identifying not just the issues out there and there and there, but in here from which everything else flows. That's the Spirit's work to illuminate in his kindness those battle points where we won't let go. I wonder what they are for you. At the start of this new year, there'll be all sorts of things. I wonder what one thing today, as you look into 2024, do you think, actually, gosh, that is a crown I need to put to the side. There'll be something. There always is. It could be, could be a relationship. Thank you so much. It could be a relationship. And you just think, it's gone sour, maybe. And someone needs to make amends. And the onus generally is always on us, whoever's at fault. And actually, you don't want to budge. It's, they, it was their fault. Well, the crown on Christ's throne says, no, actually... The onus is on us to make amends. It could be a relationship. It could be the wallet, you know. Who's king of that? It could be, as we mentioned in our notices, that daily discipline of sitting at the king's feet in his word and in prayer. Gosh, so many voices we listen to. This is the voice to listen to. I wonder, just take a second. What's the one area you think on that? If Jesus saw, looked at me eyeball to eyeball, he put his finger on that. Big question, isn't it? That's why we need community and one another to chat and pray about these things. But there's a conflict. There's a promise, a conflict. And in our last couple of minutes, there's also a shepherd, a glorious shepherd. Because look how different this king is. King Herod, he's described as a stern ruler. But Jesus, he's a tender shepherd. Look at that verse again in Micah that we have read to us there about the shepherd. Micah, out of you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people. The staggering paradox about Jesus Christ is that he's both a mighty ruler and yet a tender shepherd. He's a king, but he's kind. He's majestic, yet he's meek. He's not safe, but he's good. He is a shepherd like no other. And he is the one who will hold us into 2024. And the Magi, they got that. Herod just couldn't get it. But the Magi, they get it. And that's why they lay their treasures before Christ, because they found in him the great <coughs> treasure it's a beautiful thought. That Sayers play, she, um, she imagines the, the, the presence laid before Christ. And to the gold, Jesus smiles. To the frankincense, a picture of priestly sacrifice, he laughs. But the myrrh, well, as Joseph puts it, Jesus stretched out his little hand and grasped the bundle of myrrh. To which Mary, looking on, says, don't they embalm the dead with myrrh? See now, you're my sorrowful, sorrowful king. My, song, my, my son has taken our sorrows for his own. This is a king who even then as a toddler knows the road he's going to walk towards. A, a king who forsakes his crown of gold in order to take upon his head 
a crown of thorns. Those hands lying in the manger which reach for the myrrh are hands, as we'll sing in a moment, which flung stars into space and yet hands to cruel nails surrendered. This is a king like no other. That's why the magi bow, because they see in him a shepherd who who by faith in them actually now treasures them. We're held in his hands. And so by grace and in faith in Christ, we are his sheep at the start of this new year. If you trust in Jesus, you're one of his sheep and he holds you. And he holds you and he'll never let go. Isaiah puts it, he's a shepherd who holds his sheep close to his heart. A shepherd like no other. There are no hands more strong or or yet more tender that hold you but the hands of Christ. What hands to walk into 2024 with. The hands of Jesus, this shepherd king. So whatever 24 has got in store, won't we rest in this shepherd who holds you? who holds the year to come in his hands and close to his heart. What a king. A king like that. A king with a promise. A king who brings conflict, but a king who's a shepherd. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, as we look on to the end of a year and on to a new year, with the tectonic plates changing around the world and in our own lives in some ways, we thank you for the promise of all nations being brought to you, that we're evidence this morning of that promise coming true. We thank you too that amidst the conflict and the tension that will arise from following Christ this coming year, You are one who is a shepherd who holds us and won't let us go. A shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Oh Lord, give us faith in him and his mighty arms and his tender heart, we pray. That we might step out and take risks, reaching out to all nations with the love and truth of Christ, we pray. In his name, amen.